Hey, Seacoast. Uh, welcome to week two of the new series, The New Normal. Uh, I hope maybe that you joined us this past week in reading one chapter from Galatians each day. So you got the full book uh, this week. I'm excited about the truths that we're going to learn. Uh, still living on some of the stuff of how not to be deceived that we talked about last week. This week, I want to introduce our speaker. His name is Chip Judd. Uh, Chip has been a friend of our house for actually several years. Uh, we would call Chip in and have him talk to our staff or talk to our leadership team or talk to us individually uh, because he has a wealth of wisdom, especially relationally in how things work. Uh, I know uh, Chip has been a benefit to me personally, and uh, walked alongside me uh, in some really, really neat ways and some good stuff in my own life. Well, this week, Chip is going to uh, be speaking to us. Chip, oh, by the way, Chip just joined our staff uh, full-time as of the beginning of the year as the campus ministries pastor, and I know you're going to enjoy uh, his take on the next section of the book of Galatians. So I want you to give a great big Seacoast welcome, wherever you are, what campus you're in, to Chip Judd as he comes to speak to us today. All right. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, and uh, we just appreciate you joining us, whether you're here at Long Point or campus or internet. You ready to have a little bit of fun this morning? Say yes if you are. How many of you like that fun in church? How many of you believe we can have fun and do some really serious work? Say yes if you agree. Yes. All right, because I'm going to mess with your heads a little bit. Let me just warn you ahead of time. We're in this series on Galatians. Uh, Pastor Greg kicked it off last week. The title is The New Normal. And uh, what happened in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul starts the letter kind of saying hello and all that cool stuff. And, you know, does like you're supposed to do, you know, say nice things to people. But real quickly in the book of Galatians, different from any other book that Paul wrote, Paul gets kind of right down to the meat of things. Actually, he gets a little bit angry. And uh, there's a reason for it. He, he, he was passionate about something that they had begun to drift from. Here's a dumb little thought. I believe if the devil can't keep you out of the truth, he'll get you in the truth wrong. If he can't keep you out... He'll get you in wrong. And that's kind of what happened with these guys. They had drifted from the purity and power of the gospel. The gospel is the most powerful message in the entire world. And they had drifted from the purity and power of the gospel. What is the gospel? The quickest, simplest, most concise way to say the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. That one simple, and I'm using that term loosely, that one simple act changed all of history. And that one simple act has the power to change every one of our lives. So these people, the, the, the book of Galatians is written to, they had accepted the truth of the gospel. They believed Jesus Christ died for their sins. They believed he was buried and they believed he was raised from the dead. But they fell into a very common problem. They just couldn't believe it was that good. Here's the problem. They believed there had to be something else they had to do. It couldn't be that simple. That Jesus died for my sins, now I'm made right with God. They believed somehow there had to be more they had to do. And I feel quite sure that many of us are caught up in that same 
problem. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go a little bit further in the book of Galatians. And what we're going to do is talk about Paul's first years as a Christ follower, Paul's first years in his walk with God. The title that I chose is, Am I Normal Yet? Say yet one time. Yet's a cool little word because yet implies there's a process in motion that isn't finished yet. So um, we're going to talk about that this morning and kind of look at it. To get you where I want to go, this is my first time in front of you guys. You know, you don't know me yet and I'm getting to know you and I've come in and out of the church for a while and now I live here. My wife and I have moved here and uh, we're loving it, by the way. We just are honored to be with you guys. But just to kind of help you get to know me a little bit, I want to ask you a question and it'll take us somewhere that I want to go. Imagine God invited you into his presence and he said, whatever your name is, Chipper, I want to give you a superpower. And you're going to have this superpower and you can use it anytime you want on anything you want. Now think about it for a moment. What superpower would you like to have? What could you just kind of go shazam and whenever you did that, something really cool happened. Now I did this the other day with a couple of the guys on staff and uh, let me tell you how deeply, profoundly spiritual they are. One of them said, I want to be able to eat whatever I want and not gain weight. How many of you are proud to be led by guys like that? One wants to learn to fly. Okay, whatever. How many of you remember the Mel Gibson movie, What Women Want? A couple of them said, I want to learn to hear what women are thinking. Now, how many of you know after he turned that one on, he'd be turning it off real quick? <laughs> that might be one of those gifts that you hope you have a receipt for. I want to take that baby back. I've been inside of some women's heads. It's scary in there. I'm kidding, ladies. I'm kidding. I promise. So what superpower would you want? I've, I know what mine would be. I don't even have to think about it. I would love to have the ability to remove all barriers between you and everything God wants you to experience and enjoy in this lifetime. I wish I could line you up and just run by tapping you on the head and anything, anything, anything standing between you and everything God wants you to experience and enjoy, enjoy just disappeared. It just disappeared. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to do that? Now, I can't. I wish I could. I'd line you up right now and we'd be done with it. But I can't. But it gives you some insight into what I've been doing for the, about the last 30 years of my life. I am a pastor. I planted and pastored. My wife and I planted and pastored church right up the road in Georgetown. But more importantly, I've been a counselor, a marriage and family counselor. I came back to, I went to the Citadel, by the way. That's what brought me from Buffalo to Charleston. But uh, I came back to the Citadel in the 80s and got my master's degree in counseling. So now I'm a professional counselor. What does that mean? I've spent about 30 years eyeball to eyeball with people and their stuff. How many of you agree every one of us in this room is stuck in some area of our life? Raise your hand if you agree with that. How many of you have at least one thing about yourself that God's probably still working on? Raise your hand if you got at least one. How many of you could probably tell me what it is? How many of you know one area of somebody sitting near you that God's still working on? How many of you like to share that with us all? 
How many of you know when a baby's born, a baby's complete by the grace of God, but not finished? Well, guess what? That's what happened when you met Jesus. You were born again, and you're complete, but you're not finished. So I've spent 30 years of my life, hour by hour, meeting with individuals, marriages, and families, working on their stuck areas, where we get caught in cycles. How many of you have ever done something that didn't work and then did it again? How many of you did it again? How many of you did it again? How many of you would have to say, we're a little bit crazy? But there's reasons for it. There's reasons for it. I figured out one time, you know, I was getting ready to talk somewhere and I, you know, I, I guess I wanted to impress them. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do with you now. And I figured out I've done somewhere between 12 and 13,000 hours of counseling. Thousand hours of counseling. I think I've heard it all. Now, every time I say that, I wish I hadn't because God proves me wrong. But the deal is I've heard lots of stuff. Let me give you a couple of thoughts of some conclusions I've drawn. Three thoughts. This isn't in your notes. Three thoughts that I've concluded after 30 years working with people. If you were to come and sit down in front of me, you as an individual, your marriage, whatever, I don't even have to think about it anymore. But I used to make a decision. As soon as you sit down in front of me, I decide to believe you're doing the best you can with what you have. Now think about it right now, right now, sitting right here. You're doing the best you can with what you have. Dude, what do you mean by that? I believe you're doing everything you can to make your marriage work, your friendships work, your relationships work, your finances work. You're using everything you have to make that work. If it's not working, you're either missing something you need or you got something you didn't need. Does that make sense? Now, here's the deal. Dude, you believe everybody's doing the best they can with what they have? I really do. What about an abusive person? What about somebody who controls and manipulates other people? They're not doing the best they can. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever met an abuser who wasn't abused? Have you ever met a yeller who wasn't yelled at? Have you ever met an emotional distancer who wasn't emotionally distanced? You know what I've learned about people? I don't care how dysfunctional your life stuff is, there's a reason. There's a reason you're the way you are. So if I sit down in front of you to help you, I make a decision. You're doing the best you can with what you have. Now, Does that mean it's okay to stay there? No. You got to do something about it. And that's what we're here to help with. And that's what God wants to help with. But I start with that. The second thought I'd tell you after 30 years of counseling is this. I told you my superpower would be to be able to remove all the barriers between you and everything God wants you to experience and enjoy. Now, you know what? I wish I could just shazam and it be done. I can't. But... I believe you can remove the barriers. But here's a really, really important piece of truth. Number two, my little thoughts, the greatest barriers 
between you and everything God wants you to experience and enjoy are inside of you, not outside of you. The greatest barriers between you and what God wants you to experience and enjoy are not out here. They're in here and in here. I really, really believe that. I believe, if I'm honest with you, nothing permanently changes in your life until the way you think changes. Now, thinking is really talking to yourself. So nothing in your life permanently changes until you change the way you talk to yourself. Whose voice do you hear more than anybody's? Think about it. Whose voice do you hear more than anybody's? Your own. And do you realize it's on autopilot? It's just saying things that were programmed into it 20, 30, 40 years ago when we were about this big and we've not learned to monitor and manage the conversation that's happening. So I believe all of us are doing the best we can with what we have. I believe the greatest barriers between us and everything God wants us to experience and enjoy are within us. Third thought, I believe change is harder than we thought and takes longer than we make it sound. How many of you say yes to that one? Change is tricky stuff, man. It's tricky stuff, but here's the deal. We're going to talk tonight about the new normal, but to get us there, we got to talk a little bit about the old normal and then hopefully try to give you a little skill, a few skills to help you get there. Now, let me tell you a true story. My wife and I were sitting on the couch at home. This is a few years back. I don't remember. My wonderful wife's over here. Um, a few years back, we were sitting on the couch watching American Idol. How many of you watch American Idol? It's pretty cool, right? You're allowed to admit that in church, right? <clears throat> so we were watching American Idol and into it, you know, liking it. And my phone rings and, you know, caller ID. And I have her permission to tell this story, by the way. It was my daughter. I have two daughters and a son, all of them wonderful. I love them so much I could eat them. But my, my daughter calls and I'm watching, you know, I'm into the moment with my wife watching it. And I'm thinking, okay, I can pause it. And you know how it works nowadays. I can pick it back up or I can just let my daughter leave me a message and whatever. So I answer the phone and sure enough, she's not having a bad day. I mean, not having a good day. Here's what she says. Great week last week, this week crying every day. Great week last week, this week crying every day. Well, I kind of know my kids pretty well, and I know their situations and their stuff. Uh, she doesn't have any real estate, so it wasn't the crash of 08. She doesn't have any money in the stock market, so I knew it wasn't that. I kind of knew what was happening in her life, and I knew nothing big had shifted. How many of you have ever tried to give a pill to a cat? You, are you with me? I don't mean one with no claws. I mean a real one. How many of you know sometimes to help someone, you have to get them to swallow something that they might fight? Say yes, if that makes sense. So, <clears throat> darling, I feel, you know, the right time in the conversation. I said, darling, here's the thing. Do you know where the change took place? Last week, great week. This week, crying every day. Do you know where the change took place? And she's like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I said, darling, the change took place 
between your ears. Life didn't change. What you were saying to yourself about life is what changed. Now, we could chase all kinds of rabbits, and we won't, because I love to talk about this stuff. I love to give you skills to manage life better. But I'm on the phone, and I'm like, okay, God, give me something practical to help my daughter. And God gave me three questions. Please write these down somewhere. These are really, really anchoring, centering questions. These three questions are some of the most powerful. Whenever life's kind of out of wherever and you can't kind of get it settled down, go back to these three questions. And almost always, almost always, at some way or shape or form, you've, you've disrupted your answer to these three questions. So I said, darling, let me get, she, she's got a great walk with God. And I asked her to take these three questions to the Lord and talk them out. <clears throat> Number one, how do I see God? How do I see God? Now, I don't mean theologically the Bible says. I'm talking about you. How do you see God? When you move toward God, how do you see him? For, just to make a point, how do I see God now? New normal, not old normal. How do I see God? I see God always excited to see me. I see God just... Chipper, come here and sit in my lap. I see God hovering over my bed as I sleep, saying, I can't wait for Chipper to wake up because we're going to have such a good day together. I think I'll poke him so he wakes up early today. <laughs> now, how do you see God? You think, I, that may sound like, oh, that's just preacher talk. He's just trying to, dude, I'm telling you, that's how I see God. Post-Calvary, new normal. Why did Calvary happen? So you could see God that way I just described. Why did Jesus do what he did? So you could see God the way I just described. Number one, how do I see God? Number two, how do I see myself? How do I see myself? Boy, has that changed. I used to see myself through a filter. My father used to say to me, you're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. How many of you know you'll conform to the opinion of the most important person in, the, in your life? So I just took it on as my identity. I'm lazy and I'll never succeed. And it followed me, dogged me, tortured me, tormented me for years. I, I accomplished stuff, but I was never able to put it in the plus column. Because all I heard was, yeah, but you're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. How do you see God? How do you see yourself? Number three, what do I have to do to please him and get my needs met? How do I see God? How do I see myself? And what do I have to do to please God and get my needs met? What we're talking about is the new normal. Well, let's look in your notes. What is normal? Y'all here? Say amen. Say yes if you're here. All right. I just want to be as close to a conversation as we can make it. What is normal? Think about it. I'm a counselor, so you know you're about to get weirded out. I looked the word up. Conforming to a standard. Normal is conforming to a standard. Normal is what usually happens. 
So normal is when what usually happens, happens. Normal is what's typical or, love this one, expected. Normal is when what I expect to happen, happens. Ooh, don't miss that one. I look in your notes. Normal is relative. Normal is relative. What does that mean? What's normal to you isn't normal to me. How many of you have ever been around a family that just does things differently from you? Maybe they're real loud and boisterous and they argue and fuss. You can tell they love each other, but they just, they're just big in everything they do. And you're just kind of creeped out by it. Why? That's normal to them. It's not normal to you. Now you get around a family that's emotionally flatlined. Oh, Junior just broke his leg. I guess we should take him to the doctor. Now, you're creeped out by that. Why? Their normal and yours isn't the same. If you look in your notes, it says, I feel normal when? Now, where do we get our sense of normal? Well, we, we like, at this stage of our life, well, it's from the media, from the culture, from our friends, even from the church. Well, please listen to this thought. 30 years as a counselor, the most powerful force in shaping your sense of normal, the most powerful force in shaping your sense of normal is the family. And guess when it happens? Do you realize that by three years old, you either trust or you don't? By three years old, you either feel safe or you don't. Now, can it change? Can it be fixed? Yes. But there are powerful things happening in you when you're this big. And you're learning how life works. How, how the rules work. How this game is played. And how do you def- define winning and losing? I right, look at your notes. I feel normal when life unfolds the way I expect it to. I feel normal when life unfolds the way I expect it to. You're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. You know when I felt normal? When I wasn't succeeding. Because I believed I didn't deserve to succeed. I would go, here I was a pastor of a small church up in Georgetown. I'd go to leadership conferences. I promise you, I have never gone to a leadership conference in my life till the last decade that I didn't leave depressed. Because all I heard was what I can't do. I would listen and I'd say, man, I'm sure that's true, but I can't do it. I can't do it. My normal was I didn't deserve to succeed. Normal for each of us is when the outside matches the inside. It's a really, 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 really important statement. Normal is when the outside matches the inside. You ever wonder why an abused person as a child grows up in an abusive home You ever wonder why they either become one or marry one? Grows up in an abusive home, they either become one or marry one. Why? It feels like normal. This is a big deal, folks. 
Do you realize you've created the life you're now living? You did. You did. Let's say there's a thing or two about it you don't like. Guess where you should start the change? New husband, new wife, new job. Is that where you should start the change? If all your barriers are within you, guess where you better start the change? Inside yourself. Now, some of you are looking at me a little meaner now. (laughs) Some of you are scowling at me. I want to help you guys, man. I love you too much to blow smoke at you. How many lives are you going to get? You're going to get one. Grab it by the throat. Grab it by the throat and make it give you what God wants it to give you. Don't you dare casually drift through life just letting the stream take you wherever it wants to. Grab it by the throat. You with me? Say yes if you're still here. All right. I do love you, I promise. Next thought. Normal is like a thermostat. Right? Somewhere in this room, I still hadn't figured it out, but somewhere in this room, there's a thermostat. Now think about this for a moment. Every one of us has a thermostat in our heart. What do you do with a thermostat? You go over to it, you set it. Most of them nowadays have a heat setting and a cool setting. And what you've created, listen now, is a range of temperature in which you feel comfortable or you might say in the context of our message, in which you feel normal. Well, guess what? All of us have thermostat settings in our heart. Thermostat settings for anger. Thermostat settings for affection. Thermostat settings for the expression of emotion. Thermostat settings for how much respect and approval I deserve. Thermostat settings for how we see God. Thermostat settings for how we see ourselves. Thermostat settings for what we believe we have to do to please the people that matter to us and get our needs met. Thermostat settings. Next thought. Most thermostats are set in childhood before we're able to choose them or challenge them. Now here's the deal. You may not be responsible for the way you are. Did anybody get to pick the family you were born into? My kids all did. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) How many of you know you didn't float around as this disembodied spirit and an angel came and said, hey, would you go be Leroy and Emily's sixth of seventh kids? I'm number six of seven. Nobody asked me that. Did you get to choose the family you're born into? No. Well, guess what? Then you didn't get to choose your initial startup thermostat settings. So you may not be responsible for the way you are, but guess what? You are responsible for changing the way you are. Forgive me for some of the tacky way I say things. The truck that ran you over ain't coming back to fix you. What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? Life isn't fair, folks. You figured that one out yet? But you can take every thermostat setting you have and you can pick it up and look at it 
And you can decide, I think I'll keep that one. Or I think I'll change that one. Or I think I'll trash that one. But I beg you to please hear this. No one's going to do that for you. We're going to help. We're going to create environments, opportunities, experiences. We're going to do everything we can to set a table that has what you need. But you've got to get yourself to the table. And you've got to put yourself in a position where God can work on your thermostat settings. For most of us, normal isn't working. And man, I'm telling you, God wants to shift your thermostats. All right, what we're going to do is look at Paul. The Apostle Paul, superhero of the faith. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, if you've got your Bible with you. And we're going to talk a little bit about his journey. But all I'm really looking for is his timeline. I want you to watch his timeline. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is Paul when he was before he'd accepted Jesus. His name was Saul. Saul, he was, he was a leader of the church of that day. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, guess who that is? That's us, Christians. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You got to get this now, pre-Jesus, old normal, Paul was not a nice guy. He didn't like us. He didn't like Jesus. His head wasn't working the way we would think it needs to work. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, say suddenly one time. I love suddenly. I wish I could just zap you and you get everything you need. I really wish I could. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice. Wouldn't it be cool if God did that about every month or so? Just slap you to the ground and talk to you? Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of enjoy it. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then, of course, Paul became a Christian. He became a follower of Christ. Now, jump with me to Galatians chapter 1. And this is the section of Galatians that we're picking up from Pastor Greg from last week. Galatians 1 verse 13. Now, Paul is explaining to the Galatians his journey of faith. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Guess what he's given us? Old normal. This dude was competitive. He was smart. He was sharp. He was on the top of the heap. This was a go-getter. He met Jesus. Drop down to verse 18. He met Jesus, got saved. He, because he was in, uh, imprisoning Christians, they said, you better get out of here, dude. So he goes to the desert. Look at verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem and got acquainted with Cephas, who is Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Now, please get this. Saved? Dude, you better get out of here. Three years in the desert. I want you to get the timeline. Three years in the desert. Now look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel 
that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Now, here's what I want you to get. Damascus Road, light, boom. What do you think you're doing? Get saved. Dude, you better get out of here. Desert, three years. Comes back to Jerusalem. You better go back to the desert. 14 more years. This is a little statement I love to say. On the road to Damascus, God changed Paul's direction. In the desert, God changed Paul. God changed Paul from old normal to new normal. Now, what do I think was happening? I think God was changing how Paul sees God. I think God was changing how Paul sees himself. I think God was changing how Paul pleases God and gets his needs met. Because you know what he said things like? You know what his gospel was? Right standing with God. What is righteousness? It's the ability to stand in the presence of God with no sense of sin, shame, or guilt. The ability to stand naked before God and not be ashamed. Paul said, I found that no performance and rule keeping will ever make me able to stand in the presence of God. The only thing that will is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. How many of you know God did a work on this guy? I believe he probably was a reasonably nice guy now. I'm not sure, but I believe he probably was. Paul, if you look in your notes, Paul had a supernatural salvation experience, but he was not living in God's new normal yet. Paul lived for 17 years on a bridge between old normal and new normal. Now, what am I trying to say to you guys? This stuff doesn't change quickly and it doesn't change easily, but it does change. It does change. You've just got to let God get in there and mess with some stuff. And we're going to talk about that as we wind up here. In the desert, over 14 or 17 years, depending on who you read behind, God changed Paul from a type A overachiever who based his self-worth on performance and rule-keeping into the apostle of grace. We could read sections of Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. They're, they're, they're traffic-stopping, beautiful statements about the grace and goodness of God. They will, re, they will rewire your soul if you allow them to. Last statement in this section. God renovated Paul's thermostat settings, or what I would call his core beliefs. That deep set of beliefs that you don't think about, they're subconscious. You just live from them. Here's the deal. You can, re you can quote the Bible. God is love. But what you will live from is what you really believe about whether or not you deserve love. Now you can get to the place where they're one and the same. But it, again, it is an instant, it is an automatic. All right, the journey from old normal to new normal. Just some thoughts from me, a counselor, guy who's plowed around all this stuff for 30 years. 
over time, God will begin to show you the areas that need adjustment. All I ask you to do is pay attention to what life brings to your attention and then respond to it. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. I love these two sections of scripture. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. But let God. Who's the active partner right there? Let God transform you. Philippians 2.13, write it off to the side. Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God who's at work. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You cannot change your thermostat settings. God can. But let God transform you into a new person. How many of you in some areas of your life would really like to be a new person? There's some areas of my life, man, God. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Please notice it didn't say changing the way you act. It didn't say changing the way you live. It said changing the way you think. Why did it say that? Because if you can change the way you think, it will change the way you act and the way you live. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Sounds good, dude. How? Verse 23, let the spirit renew, renovate, change your thoughts and attitudes. About what? How you see God, how you see yourself, and what you believe is required of you to please him. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and then put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. All right, a couple of quick statements. I can love God and not be at home in his new normal. I can love God. I can be a follower of God. I can be a sincere, committed follower of God and still not be living in his new normal. I told you earlier, phrase seared in my soul, you're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. I used to live under this little cloud of depression that followed me around because I had formed in my heart the belief that the most important person in the universe to me was not pleased with me. Now listen to this statement very, very carefully. Whoever's words define you is your God. Whoever's words define you is your God. You're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. That was the little G God of my childhood universe, my father. I still have places I hurt because of sports injuries, because I would have done anything to make him proud of me. Now, the reality is, he didn't know how to tell me he was proud of me. My father loved me. Anybody know the next word? But he didn't know how to show it. So here I am, a believer, an adult, wife, children. Deep down, I still lived out of that phrase, you're lazy and you'll never amount to anything. Until I did what I call switched fathers. And I had times with my heavenly father where he said this to me, Chipper, you're not the hardest working dude I've ever created. 
But I made you the way you are so that people would feel comfortable sharing their hurts and wounds with you. Wait a minute, God. You mean you made me this way on purpose? Wait a minute, God. You mean you like me like this? Folks, I don't know how to tell you. You talk about a new normal? I wake up every day and realize, Colleen, I'm not supposed to work hard. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> That felt pretty good. (laughs) Next statement. Growth and change happen when I turn off autopilot and commit to a different future. Growth and change happen in my life, your life, when we turn off autopilot. What does that mean? Nobody can stop you from thinking through your same filters. Allow God to challenge your thermostats. Insanity. You know the cute little definition of that. Well, let me give you a variation on it. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. How about try this one? How about just be nice to yourself? How about just try it for a week? I'm going to be nice to myself. You want something you never had? You got to do something you've never done. You know what? I'm just going to be nice to me. I'm just going to act like I'm a person of value. I'm going to try to act like I'm a person that if I weren't me, I would want to get to know. I'm going to just see what that feels like. I'm living in the new normal. Finishing your notes. I'm living in the new normal when I see and experience God as he really is. A couple of weeks back, Pastor Greg shared in a beautiful point in one of our services. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he read this beautiful section of scripture about all these things and how they can't separate us from the love of God. You know what, I, you know what hit me? Boom, as he finished. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know what word I heard next? But nothing can separate you or me from the love of God, but my believing, I don't deserve it. Do you realize the love of God flowing through this room right now? The love of God's flowing through this room, just like radio station. The problem is most of our receivers aren't tuned to know how to receive it. Most of us just haven't worked through our old normal thermostat settings to where it's easy to receive his love. What would life be like for you If it was easy to receive his love. It was just easy. Ah. Oh, you mean when I'm not sinning and not doing anything wrong? Dude, there's no such time. I don't mean that really. But here's the deal. What is the cross of Calvary for? So that on this side of it now you can live the straight. You you better never mess up or I'll slap you so hard your head will spin. Why did Jesus do that? So that in spite of our shortcomings, we could get everything God's always wanted us to have. God's not waiting till you get it together 
to be nice to you. Listen to me carefully. His being nice to you is the key to your getting it together. Right living does not produce right standing. Right standing produces right living. Next statement. See myself the way he sees me. Wouldn't it be cool if you learned to say nice things to yourself about yourself? Say nice things to yourself about yourself. All right, next one. If you're living in the new normal, you've learned how to receive and rest in the Father's love, in His acceptance and love. And then our last thought for today, if you're living in the new normal, you've developed healthier ways to get your needs met. How many of your needs is God capable of meeting? Pretty much all of them. Well, what if we learn, listen to this thought now, what if we learn to go to God first and most for everything we need? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for these moments we've had together today. Lord, I know some of this land's heavy. It's, it's, it's just wow. But God, I pray that you would meet each of us exactly where we are in our journey and you would begin to wrestle with our thermostat settings and help us switch, transition from old normal to new normal in the way we see you, in the way we see ourselves and what we believe is required of us to please you and get our needs met. Bless this wonderful group of folks here and on all the campuses. In Jesus' name, amen.